HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch, grass-fed beef raised on California's central coast. Now available online through Larder Meat Company. Learn more at hearstranch.com. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one of your hosts, Darren Bresnitz. We are dedicating today's episode to Jason Disu, who we lost this month. He was a kind soul, incredible artist, and all-around great friend. And so in his honor, we'll be playing the Midnight Magic performance from back in the day when we were recording out of Brooklyn. Jason, you will be missed, and we're sending a lot of love and positive vibes to wherever you are. The first half of the show, we sit down with Rashida Holmes, chef and owner of Bridgetown Roadie, to talk about the last year she spent during the pandemic, cooking, the struggles, the successes, and what the future looked like. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on HRN. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes.
Jacques Renault remakes Midnight Magic. Chef, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule, sitting down with us at Snacky Tunes. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, really. um, you, know, you, don't, you, don't. you know, we we first met because I started seeing your food popping up all over my Instagram uh, during the pandemic. And I was like, yeah, I'm going down on Friday. I'm driving to a house <laughs> and uh, I'm getting this incredible freshly made roti and and all this incredible curries and things like that um and you know you've been working on this concept for a while now though right like i know i know i came to it during the pandemic but it started before Mm -hmm. yeah so i started actually in the summer of 2019 Mm. um uh as i did a couple pop-ups at a couple friends restaurants through the fall and I was still kind of working full time at a restaurant, just line cooking to kind of pay the bills. And this was a side project that I was figuring out uh, at the time. Uh, I thought it was going to be a catering Mm. business for a while. Uh, But I I wasn't really sure what it was going to be. I knew I knew I wanted to do Caribbean food. I knew I wanted to focus on like the street food and the rotis and the patties. But I didn't know like how that was going to manifest itself, really. It was really just... uh, I knew it was going to be my next step. I had been a sous chef a bunch of places and I wasn't really excited about being anyone else's executive chef at that point in my career. So I decided to kind of figure this project out and I did that kind of through the fall. We did some festivals in the winter and then in around February of 2020, I was like, okay, I, the restaurant I was going to get closed and I was like, great, perfect opportunity. I can just do Bridgetown full time and and do this catering company and figure out what it was, you know, and then March and then March 2020 happened. March 2020. And uh, we had a March 2020. (laughs) And we had a bunch of, you know, catering gigs set up that all got canceled. And I was kind of like in a lurch without being able to collect unemployment because my restaurant had closed. So I was like in this in-between place where I was like, oh gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. So um, a friend of mine who I'd done an event with in February started selling her food out of her house. And I was like, well, yeah. I can sell some food out of the house. <laughs> I think I could do that. And that's kind of when I started um, doing the patties out of my house. And it really took off. People were were hungry for something new. They were hungry for, um, I think, I think a lot of people were kind of tired of the takeout options that they had at that time, right around like April, mm. May, they were like, no more tacos, no more Chinese, no more pizza. <laughs> I want something. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I just kind of slipped into a niche and, and it really took off and a bunch of people uh, came down to, to pick it up and, and it's just kind of grown from that point, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, and that's kind of where you found us in the first place too. So, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, at least in L.A., and in many ways, because you were also at the New York Times, you have become one of the faces of the new type of culinary venture, right? The new type of Mm -hmm. what I Mm -hmm. think is something that's going to be a permanent fixture, maybe these smaller, more nimble type of food service, restaurant, kitchens, things like that. Um, But how does it feel to be so Mm -hmm. front and center, to be so celebrated and have the spotlight on you because I know it can be good and bad, right? Like 
I know, I, I know how sometimes it can be in the culinary world. But let's start with the good and maybe talk with the bad. But, you know, it's like you've, you've literally become one of the faces of the, the new type of food scene. Yeah, it is. It is good and bad. It's that's there's a lot of truth yeah. to that. I mean, it's good because, you know, the the press and the acknowledgement of, of what I'm doing has allowed us to to grow. You know, um, we've moved into a, a commissary kitchen space and at Crafted Kitchen in the Arts District and we're able to kind of serve more regularly out of there. We got some grant money because of the of the publicity that I got. Um and people know about us and it's and it's great and I'm I'm just happy people enjoy the food. It doesn't always translate into sales, ironically enough. Mm. Um sometimes we're, you know, sometimes we're a little bit slower and and I think the positives of kind of being flexible and having kind of a limited service is that our overhead is tiny. You know, our overhead compared to a restaurant is is quite small. But at the same time, our revenue is also tiny. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a double <laughs> in that sense. Um, so it's great. You would think that by now, by people now would understand like how it works in a restaurant financially. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You would think, you would think, you know, you would think that they would. And um, I think we, you know, we try, I try very hard because I always wanted Bridgetown to be accessible, you know, and to keep it at a price point where lots of different demographic groups can enjoy the food. You know, it, it, it's, it's traditionally, you know, a lower income cuisine. So I don't want to alienate the, the, the history of the cuisine by pricing it, you know, out of the people, out of our own people's range. Um, but that comes with a consequence that comes with a consequence of, you know, we have to put out a lot of volume, but we don't have the space to put out as much volume as we'd like to. And we have to keep the staff small. So there, there are challenges to it as well. Um, you know, I do a lot. I do. A lo- I do. I'm the main cook. I'm also the chef. I'm also doing things like this. I'm also working on a business plan for another project that we're trying to, to grow it into. So in that sense, I don't get to just be a chef. Because the project is so small, I have to kind of do all the things, um, which can be which can be difficult, which can be difficult for sure. Yeah, it's it's a it's a lot of hats, a lot of tokes, if you it's will. A lot. Yes, um, a lot of tokes. <laughs> so let's go back a little bit. To, I've never worn a toque. Yeah, I mean, I, I, never got I that, that was more of a inside. I don't get to make a lot of uh, like food fashion jokes, so I, I take it where I take it where I can. Um, I actually want to talk a little bit about the history of the cuisine um, and, you know, where you grew up, who cooked in the house, because I know that family inspires a lot of your food. Yeah, family is a huge part. So I we moved around a lot when I was a kid. We I was born in New York and um, we lived in New Jersey, we lived in Dallas, Texas for a while. Um, I went to high school in Baltimore. Um, and then after high school, I kind of moved around a lot. So I've never really had kind of a home city. Uh, that I would call like the place, the one place I grew up. I grew up kind of all over the place. Um, but the thing that was the same always was kind of the food that we made at home and and the holiday food. And for me, holiday food was always Caribbean food. It was always when my mom would pull out the curry chicken, pull out the peas and rice, pull out the codfish cakes. Um, my One of my dad's you know staple dad dinners was to make oxtail stew and stew, brown stew chicken. So 
those are the things that were always meant home to me because it wasn't really a city that meant home to me. It was, it was really more that Caribbean food that they brought into our home from their past. Um, my mom was born in Barbados. She came to the States when she was around, I think, 11, 12 years old. Um, and that was a big, she moved to New York and my dad was born in New York, but his family on his father's side is also from Barbados and Panama and, um, a little bit of Trinidad. So that's always been like the history of our family was always, we're Caribbean Americans. That's, that's who we are. Um, so that's kind of what inspired me to, to, to start Bridgetown. It's like one, there wasn't really any place in LA where I could go and get this food and I really wanted mm-hmm. to eat it all the time. <laughs> yeah. And then I was oh, yeah. like, what do I want to eat? I want to eat, I want to be able to eat rotis basically as many times as I can. So I got to just make it myself. That's, that's kind of a lot of the inspiration that came behind it. But yeah, I, 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 uh, because I didn't have that kind of home city food really too much, the home, home for me was, was that holiday food that the Caribbean food that we had at the holidays. So my mom jokes now. She's like, "You made a business out of a, she's made. We've made a business out of the Caribbean food, and now she can't make it at the holidays anymore." <laughs> oh my god! Um, you know how uh, familiar because it isn't a super available cuisine, right? Like, I think that's part of what drew me to it. I was yeah. like, "Oh, I've never really had this type of food before, or even knew where to get it." Um, how much education have you had to bring to? LA, America, about this food, because I'm sure there are people who both don't know it, right? And are just like, what is this? But then there are people yeah. who are super familiar with it. And you're like, this mm-hmm. is my take on it. And so you're probably like working a little bit of both sides <laughs> of it. Because when you have something that's so intimate, right? Like, you know, like I have Jewish cuisine in my family yeah. and I'll eat Jewish yeah. cuisine and I go, mm, that's not how my grandma and mom would make it. And they go like, well, this is how we do our food. So, yes. but talk to me about the education, talk about, about how you've had to like teach people about it because there's some dishes, like when I had the fish cakes, right? The, I, I had no idea what I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I know salted, mm-hmm. caught a little bit, but I had never sort of seen them like that. And you definitely have like the fine chiffonade of those shives on top. And I was like, you probably don't see that everywhere. So you get a little bit of taste of both sides of like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and I see you working both sides of it, but anyway, um, how much did you have to tell people like, this is what the food is, and this is what you can expect on my take on this cuisine. Uh, a lot, a lot. <laughs> I have to do it a lot. I'm doing it constantly, actually. I mean, I think, and you're right. Your question is spot on about the the twofold. You know, educating people about what it is. Like, oh, there's other Caribbean food other than Jamaican, and I'm like, yes, there is. There's this whole other side of the Caribbean that does things totally differently yeah. and also does some things the same. You know, there's similarities between both. It's kind of like northern and Italian cuisine. It's like, yeah, there's similarities, but they're very dis- different distinct uh regional uh stories. So, there's that educational part. Um and on that side it's it's a little bit easier cuz People are like, oh, okay, it's it's Bayesian food. You say it's Bayesian food, I agree with you, and I love it, so that's great. On the other side, with 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 actual people, Caribbean people, um, it's a mixed bag. Some of them are delighted that I've taken something that they love and, and put new twists on it. Some of them write me DMs complaining about <laughs> the fact that I'm not exact that I put cabbage in my rotis. So um, I think. 
you know, we're not going to try and please everybody. That's that's not sure. our goal. Our goal is to tell my story. And I'm not from Barbados. I'm from America. Like I'm an American. I can't I can't tell the story of of your childhood memories of your island because I'm I'm not from there. I'm from here. So I just I can only tell my story through the cuisine. So as long as I keep doing that, I feel more and more people are kind of embracing that that part of it and, and understanding my background of you know, being here, my background in, in, in restaurants and in food and how that influences the way that I cook Caribbean food. So, um, if I stay authentic to that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure the food tastes good enough that, that people will, will enjoy it. Even, even the curmudgy ones. (laughs) Oh man. So many, a lot of feelings. I mean, but that's just the way that's, that's, um, cause it is so personal to you as well. Sometimes when the critique, Mm -hmm come you're like you're talking about my mom yeah, yeah. you're talking about my aunt you're talking about my family <laughs> you know you know what i mean like yeah, yeah. it's not just like oh, okay i'm like going in and making this cuisine that i learned and just my take on it and like here i am doing a restaurant you're you're pulling from your your stories um yeah. I, I mean has it always been in the back of your mind to shine a spotlight on on this cuisine like did you always want to do this Actually, no. Um, I never really thought that my culinary career would take me in this direction, to be honest. I think that after working in a lot of different types of restaurants, I kind of reached a point. One, so, okay, the story is twofold. So after I was a sous chef at Botanica, I started applying for executive chef jobs Um and I wasn't really getting any callbacks. And I was surprised at that because I'd been 10 years in the business and I had a pretty, what I thought was a pretty solid resume of, of good restaurants I'd worked at and, right, and management right. positions that I held. And um, it was very frustrating that I'd spent a decade kind of building myself up and I wasn't really getting the responses I thought I, I, I should get. And then, and I knew in the back of my mind that my very African-American sounding name might have put off some people as they looked in my resume. Mm. And that was extremely frustrating. So um, I talked to a, a very good friend of mine, my friend Elise, um, and she was like, why don't you just, just write down everything you love to eat and see where that takes you? And I was like, okay. So I wrote down everything I love to eat. I filled like an entire notebook of it. And... I went through it and I realized that all the the Caribbean favorites of my childhood were things that I couldn't find. Like I said before, I couldn't find in Los Angeles and I wanted to go eat. And that's, and I was like, there's something there. There's, 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 there's an idea here that I think Los Angeles would really love. And so that's kind of when I first wrote my first menu and, and, and talked to my mom and started doing some research and, and came up with Bridgetown. And um, it really was an exercise of looking into myself and thinking about what I wanted to do and, and what story I could tell in, in food. Cause I, I felt like I wasn't given, getting the opportunities to tell it in a different way, you know, through, through another exec, like a, a chef job here in the city. So um, yeah, it was, it was twofold in that. And, and that's kind of where it got born. I never would have thought it never was a plan. It never was a plan to be like, one day I'm going to open a Caribbean spot. I never, 
was a plan. But it was a plan that if I opened my own spot, that it wouldn't be a formal restaurant. I knew mm. that, I, that the old model of restaurants wasn't what I wanted to do. We're actually going to take a quick musical break and actually talk about the state of restaurants okay. and about where you figure in. Uh, because I think if anything, the last year we saw that, you know, we, the, the path forward is not the path that we were on. Um, we have a quick musical break yes. and then a song uh, from the archives. And then we'll come back and talk with Chef Rashida Holmes here on Snacky Tunes on HR Ed. Don't make your life away. 
Hello, welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are here with Chef Rashida Holmes, Bridgetown Roadie. And right before the break, we were talking about the restaurant industry. And it was a bit of an open secret, a lot of open secrets about some of the really <laughs> bad practices, right? Like it's, you know, Me Too started exposing it and then it sort of rolled. It's like, well, maybe it's not just misogyny. Maybe it's also racism and also like maybe the wages don't work. And like, do we do automatic tipping, not tipping? Like it's and because of the pressure of food and its popularity and like, you know, what you talked about in the first part was like it's small business at the end of the day. And it's just mm-hmm. a different product that you're putting mm-hmm. out. But because there is such a direct interaction with customer and also um, a lot of other factors, community, things like that, like it can be overlooked about how it is. Is it a good business? Is it a fundamentally sound, <laughs> bad business? You know, and I think that what COVID really is exposed <laughs> was that like it's a lot of bad business. You know, it's a, it's a really tough, really thin margin. You know, it's you know, we have. We make money this week. That's money for next week, right? Maybe we have 30 days in the bank. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts because you you went through the industry in the more formal way. And now you've been doing business differently in a way that I think is actually going to become a steady part of the restaurant industry on a whole. Thoughts, feelings, you know, reflections mm-hmm. on on what you did and where you are now and then and then where you think it's going. You have, and you have 15 seconds, so no pressure. Yeah, I mean. (laughs) Uh, I was like, you got two hours? Um, But no, I can condense it. (laughs) I think for me, as I worked in the industry, the biggest thing that was frustrating was the income inequality between front of back and house. I mean, it didn't make sense to me that we all, frankly, the cooks worked more hours than servers did because servers had like six hour shifts or, you know, five hour shifts here and there. Um, and they work hard. Servers work hard. I wouldn't, I wouldn't not diminish the hard work that servers do because they do, but their work wasn't more important than the work that was getting done in the kitchen to produce the product, the producers of the product, right? They were just the faces of the product. So, and yet those people were systematically paid less money because of the way tipping systems work. And I just Mm. always felt that that didn't make any sense. That made no sense in the, how you produce the food because you, you could, you could do it without the servers, but you can't do it without the cooks. So I never understood mm. why that system exists. And frankly, that system is a holdover from slavery. That's really what the restaurant business is. It's like one of the last vestiges of just tipping culture is, is a slavery-based uh, system mm. where the people in the front, the faces of your kitchen staff were more valued than the people in the back. Like that's, you know, the lighter skin sleeves were in your front and they got tipped by the guests and that kind of thing versus people in the kitchen who tended to be darker, who tended to not, who were just, didn't get any extra money, didn't get any extra praise. And it's like, why is the industry where we, we feed people still holding on to this archaic system of, of, um, 
financial inequality. So for me, I always knew that if I started my own business, that we would have to do things differently and have to figure out a way to create a more equitable system on that level. Um, just between all of the employees, because all the employees are equally important to the success of the restaurant. From the dishwasher to the head chef, they're all equally important. How do we approach the business in a way that the compensation represents that, you know, represents that, that equal importance to the product? Um, so when I started Bridgetown and I knew that I would try to model it in a different way, and I knew that I wasn't going to have traditional sit-down service. I think having a counter service doesn't diminish from the food product at all. I think there's a, the whole notion of, you know, service is, is half the, the value of the food. I think that's true when you're kind of in the fine, fine, fine dining space, but most restaurants kind of exist in the in-between where it doesn't really matter as much uh, as long as, because they're just there to eat the food. Um, Hmm. And I know, I know lots of, Front of house managers will be like, how dare you say these things? But it's true. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really is true. But isn't so, that, uh, I is, mean, isn't that what this has all been about the last year, right? Like yes. all the things where you would after a long shift and you're hanging out sort of talk about privately has now really been brought to the open. Um, and if we can't move yes, forward exactly. in a better direction, exactly. And look, I've I've seen the argument. There's too many restaurants. It's not sustainable. You know, you can get into the 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 bite that the delivery services take out of restaurant. Like, there's a whole all these things swirling around Ooh. it. And I go, no, 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 no. You, the the core conversation mm-hmm. are like, who are the people that are putting up the food and working the restaurant, like as people, not just as a cog, but like people in the restaurant. Like, yes. how are they being yes. treated? Is it fair? Does that mean that like yes. you can't go out to eat as much because yes. it's going to cost more money? You know, does it go back to being a luxury? Maybe, or maybe not every meal you eat out is is maybe. is a sit down formal dining thing. You know, and I say this as a as a father of one about you to know? be father of two. I don't want to have a sit down full down menu at a restaurant anymore. I can't. It's like not stressful, but I want restaurant quality food if I get food to go. And so, like, if I go to a place like you, right, I want to know it's the best. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I hundred percent agree. I, I think that there that we have to do away with restaurant quality food means a menu and a table and a this and a that and a, all those things, those trappings. When really, you can create restaurant if if it's a restaurant and the quality is good, then it's a restaurant quality food. Like that's yeah. that's it. That's the end of the story, you know, and it can be the end of the story. And if we want to keep food at a price point where it's accessible, we have to make sacrifices about labor and we have to make sacrifices about space. You know, we can't have hundred seat restaurants that are serving average food. You know, we can't have, Mm -mm. you know, um, a full weight staff and a full bar staff and a full kitchen staff. You know, you have to find a place to make sacrifices, but let's not make those sacrifices. Um, when uh, Let's make the sacrifices in a way in the beginning in the business plan 
so that we can compensate our people properly. So they only have to work one job, you know, so they only have to, uh, so that they can get healthcare. I mean, personally, I don't think it's the job of small businesses to provide healthcare. I think that should be the government's job. And that can, that's another yeah, thing I mean, that can solve a lot that's of another- problems of, small businesses but that's a whole nother conversation that's a whole other we're gonna need like a tight hour on that um so look uh, beyond just the 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 mechanics of of running the restaurant i think the other side of it is that you know food and the culture around it has become really heavily charged right you know food is politics what you serve is politics um even the way you present the food and things like that um you know, has come into examination now, right? So what yes. story or how is the space you created with Bridgetown Roadie telling the story you want, right? What what control do you have and and how have you felt that you've been able to, to bring different things into the discussion um, that maybe you hadn't been able to before? Um, well, what's nice about it right now is as our operation exists – is we have a pretty small staff. We have, I have two cooks in the kitchen. I have a, a sous chef, a woman who worked with a long time, Anna and, and Rosa. And I'm able to have them work full time, have them work for, you know, a living wage. So they don't have to work um, other jobs. And also uh, I have one front of house person who kind of runs food back and forth. And so it works in this kind of small uh, bubble. Um, mm. But we are, we are also, we don't plan on staying in this bubble. I mean, I know a lot of people want to kind of keep this model of pop-ups going. I am actually looking to, to grow into a brick and mortar space, but also maintain the, the income equality across the board. Like I plan on starting everyone. If you start, you start at the same wage and then all raises are based on merit. So if you're the best dishwasher, then you get a raise. And I don't care if the dishwasher is making more than a line cook, if they've been there longer, they've earned that compensation, you know, getting rid of the, the hierarchical system that exists in, in kitchens and restaurants in terms of compensation is a huge mission of mine. I think we have to value what everyone, everyone contributes and, reward people for their loyalty and reward people for their hard work versus rewarding them for having a position and a title. Mm, I like that. I, it's uh, it's a paying it forward, giving space to others type of mentality and having it, you yeah. know, you always hear this thing about the old system. Now I think I probably been thinking about it wrong because in the old system, I was like, why are these line chefs or these line cooks like leaving a place after six months, 12 months of being at a spot? And now I realize like, cause they already know they're never going to get their shot. They're, they're at a spot where they yeah. thought they could get there. It's got the name, it's got the prestige. And they're like six months, three years, ma- maybe, you know, not for mm-hmm. me, not for me here. Mm-hmm. And the fact that like, mm-hmm. these are more like mm-hmm. we're in it together type of moments. Uh, I, I think you see it. I mean, Johnny over to Helen Ray's really highlights his crew, you know, and you see like more people being like, yep. here's the people who work here. It's not just one face, like meet, meet the people who run the restaurant. Yes. And I get that. And those guys are never leaving. Yes. Right. Like you give people their own shine yeah. in, in that. And you're like, it's not, it's, exactly. it's a, it's a one team, one dream type of thing. It's like, yeah, you can rise too. 
He's 100%, 100%, 100%. I agree So 100%. before we go, I know that we're sitting in a very mm-hmm. interesting time in culture uh, of COVID and the reopening of restaurants and vaccines in the future. Like it looks a little bit, at least in LA, like they're getting those vaccines out. Indoor dining is back. Outdoor. Yeah, there's light, there's light, light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. What do you see? What do you want to see for yourself and for the community as a whole? You know, it's kind of because it's kind of a whole year thing. It's like this whole past year we've been reckoning with the industry. We've been reckoning. The country has gone through a reckoning of reckoning. Mm. You know, our past and and our and our racial issues that we really need to deal with. So I hope that we can come out of this, you know, with new types of places and a new kind of attitude towards what we value in food. You know, I would love to see more cuisines of color being highlighted and, and written about and, and people interested in. And I would love to see, you know, I don't know about the country. I, you know, I've been black too long in this country to really have, (laughs) you know, but I, I, (laughs) it does feel different this time. You know, I, I always say after Trayvon Martin, I thought things were going to change and then things didn't change. So I, I, it does feel different. Maybe I'm just older uh, this time. So we'll see. Uh, But I just hope that people can, and people in the industry can let go of the the chef ego and let go of the restaurateur ego and really embrace their teams and 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 highlight that your food is made by this team and we value this team and 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 everybody on this team contributed to your great meal and i think if we can start that kind of a culture in in the restaurant industry then we'll end up in a better place well, Chef, I know I'm in a better place every time I start driving downtown, heading to the restaurant. So thank you for everything. If people want to order, follow along with the new pop-ups you're going to be doing. But you also do a lot of specials. If any of you miss Goattober, put it on your calendar for this year because that was, man. Anyone who really knows how to cook goat, like I'm just in your hands for the rest of my life because that is – that, that is a skill and, and it was it was so good. It, but um, if people want to follow along, where can they check you out? Where can they go? Uh, you can check out our Instagram, Bridgetown, at Bridgetown Roti. Um, you can check out our website, BridgetownRoti.com. That's where you can place orders for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, we're open from 12 to 8 for pickup and delivery. Amazing. Well, listen, thank you so much. I'll be seeing you soon. I'll be... Trucking it down from Atwater down to downtown. I, I found a good route that doesn't take so long. Yeah, man. I'll be coming by. <laughs> well, there's still no traffic, so you're you're good to go. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's 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 a straight shot. Uh, well, listen, we have another song from the archives, and then a live performance here on HRN. We all know smoke rises, baby, and ashes fall. But if I don't have you, that don't sound like no fun at all. Your boy, he don't look like he got much. Don't look like he want much. Don't look like you get much. And believe me when I tell you, baby, you don't know nothing about what I do. 
friends I left them to die Gets easier to forget You know it does As time goes by You know, it goes by so quickly But I don't think I Oh no In a heartbeat once an hour and when she rolled her tongue all in front of her teeth oh got me feeling like this night is ours and I don't know what she's learned but the young is so good at pretending and believe me when I tell you baby you don't know nothing about oh what This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch. The Hearst family has raised cattle on California's central coast since 1865. Today, Hearst Ranch's signature product is their 100% grass-fed, completely hormone and antibiotic-free beef. The Hearst Ranches have always treated their animals with great care. Their cattle live a completely natural existence as foragers and grazers. Well-managed grazing fertilizes the land naturally sustains a seasonal rhythm to the ranches, and produces a remarkable meat whose flavor is the authentic taste of the American West. Hearst Ranch beef is available seasonally, May through August, in select Whole Food markets throughout California, and all year round at their retail locations in San Simeon and Paso Robles. And now, HRN listeners in Arizona, Nevada, and California can get Hearst Ranch beef delivered right to their door through Larder Meat Company. Go to LarderMeatCo.com and shop the 100% grass-fed box to stock your freezer with Hearst Ranch beef. That's L-A-R-D-E-R MeatCo.com. Learn more about the storied history, farming practices, and conservation efforts of Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Oh yeah, that's a classic hit from way back when. Chili for your love. (laughs) Coming at you live from Snackatoons. 
Uh, we are in a great mood today because we have one of our uh, favorite bands and favorite people. New Vin- favorite bands. We were ta- we said that uh, you know we. You should yell more. Into the I'm microphone. going to yell more. Uh, that you know we heard someone pass me the remix when we were coming back from Chicago, and you know then we uh, I went oh. out. Someone. Let's sue them. Yeah, Yo, sue them. Yo, Let's I have this friend. His name's the Internet. Yeah, it's called the Internet. Let's just say it got passed to me, and then uh, I hunted down Jacques, and I was like, "You're awesome." Uh, you should come on our radio show, and he was on last week. Yeah, he was on last week, and uh, he is awesome, and he's great. Dude, Jacques he, is amazing. Jacques is—he's like—he's like, he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm going over to Biza to play Space." I was like, "Yeah, you are, dude." I was yeah. like, "That's awesome." Uh, and then, uh, and then we were like, "Well, you know, if we have Jacques, we we should really actually have the people that created the song uh, oh, yeah. uh, as yeah. well, not just remixers." So uh, we would like to welcome Midnight Magic. The Snacky Tunes. Thank you. Really excited to see you guys. Do you, uh, you guys want to go? <laughs> you guys want to go around the room, or do we need to do the names? You guys want to do, do that? Yeah. All right. Just say names and who you are, and uh, here, I'll p- turn that microphone over this way. All right. What'd you guys say? Right. Oh. Alright. I'll start. Okay. My name's Tiffany Roth, and I'm a Sagittarius. <laughs> 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 Thomas. I, I sing in the band. I'm proud of that. Okay. Uh, my name's Andrew Raposo, and uh, I'm bass player. And uh, t- typical Pisces. My name's Morgan, and I'm a lovely Libra. <laughs> uh, and I play keyboards and, and uh, mouth percussion. No, just keyboards. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's my true, though. My name's Andrew Frawley. I am a Taurus. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I hit things. Uh, <laughs> you mess with the bull, you get the horns. You know what I mean? I'm Sanchez. I'm cancer. Uh, <laughs> pretty guitar, percussions, and sometimes drums. That's true. Truth. And Nick, I don't know. I'm Nick Rosemarrow. I'm one of many horn players. And I'm a Leo, but not your average Leo. Oh, <laughs> I think. Uh, and just and just to know uh, the uh, accompanying <laughs> laughs that we have, uh, we have. Uh, Sarah Hooper from Jelly NYC. We'd like to give a big congratulations for the final pool party. It celebrated its five-year oh, anniversary uh, with such acts like DMC, uh, Andrew WK, uh, Tim from Les Savvy Fab, Gucci Man played last night. It was great. And we have Maggie Horn here as well, who you remember from our telephone episode, which you can find on our podcast through iTunes. So, hey. uh, so <laughs> magic. Yeah, yeah, just give let's us a uh, let's let's get this, this let's do dirty. a song. Let's do a song okay. and then we'll do a song? Yeah, yeah, let's do a song and then we'll come back and we'll get a little history. I just wanna I just wanna say before we start, I wanna I wanna shout this out to Carter Yasipaki and Jason Disu who and Max Goldman who are not with us today. And it's probably for the best because it is super tight. It is really tight in here. And you guys would have had to share this delicious pizza with them. So yeah. 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 Alright, uh, so here we go. Uh while I get set up, Midnight Magic, Live on Snacky Tunes, Heritage Radio Network. Thanks to uh, Jack Inslee and Rec Tech for rocking the show and Roberta's for delicious food. Uh, are we ready to do this, guys? What's the uh, What's the first one going to be? This is called Drop Me a Line. Drop Me a Line. Uh-huh. You guys got it. Oh, we do? Yeah.
That is Midnight Magic live on Snacky Tunes. Uh, thank you. Amazing. Thank you. Uh, so why don't you come sit down on next to us and uh, that, that sounds t- better when it's fueled by pizza, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> pizza, the energy food. Uh, so why don't you give our listeners uh, a little background on Midnight Magic? Tiffy, Andrew, Tiffy, Andrew, Tiffy, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Rock Seriously, paper scissors. Uh, I was born in Boston, uh, March 5th, 1980. My mom actually was... Oh, no, I'm sorry, about Midnight Magic. My bad. Okay, sorry. Um, Morgan and Tiffany were working on, like, four-track recordings and all this stuff about 13 years ago in L.A., and I was living out there, actually crashing on Morgan's floor, and uh, they did not really invite me to make music with them, but I was a fan. <laughs> and then I went back to the East Coast, and I was in this band called Automato with the guys from Holy Ghost. And we made a record, uh, and Morgan came out and joined that band. And when that band broke up in, uh, that was all like in 2002, and then record came out in 03, 04, whatever it was. That band was done, broken up by 2005. <laughs> and... Uh, I wasn't playing or doing anything and then Morgan called me and said you know Tiffany moved here and we're working on stuff again this guy Carter from the new school and this guy Max and this guy Evan Herring and I came and we jammed and we the four of us five of us six of us we talked about like let's let's do something with this and uh, we were working on all this great music and it was going really well and then and then uh, uh, Morgan and I got conscripted into uh, Hercules and Love Affair mm-hmm. and uh uh, basically just helped Andy put the live band together and we pulled a lot of people out of Midnight Magic in order to do that. <laughs> so um, Tiffany was like, oh man, really? Oh man? Um, yeah. <laughs> she is not <laughs> smiling. Yeah. <laughs> All you radio listeners. <laughs> and then at the end, and then at the end of uh, the album cycle for the first record, Andy wanted to go off, do his thing. We want to go off, do our thing. And we uh, got working on our first release. Uh, actually finishing it, getting the Jacques remix, getting Gavin's remix, getting Goldsworthy, who I call the J.D. Salinger of dance music, <laughs> to uh, to uh, do a remix. And Permanent, um, I don't know, they kind of came out of nowhere and they're like, let's do this. And we're like, okay. So uh, we added Andrew to the band last year and Kaito to the band last year. Uh, Nick and Carter like best friends from Seattle, so it kind of made sense for Nick to be in the band and... I don't know. We're going to have hopefully 15, 16, 17 members by next year. So really just yeah. making a really easy touring band. Yeah. Um, I mean, really exciting, you know, like uh, for anybody who's listening to the show, you know, we saw you guys at that tandem, the PS1 after party. Uh, Sarah was there and uh, uh, Darren and a bunch of us. And normally one of us was, you know, we'll go out and we'll see a band like, that was, that was awesome. And I was like, you were high. And it's like, yeah, but that was still really <laughs> awesome. Uh, this time we were all high and we all really liked it. So uh, it was like great to see. And it's great to see bands like that, you know, playing in tandem, in, like yeah. a back corner. Well, that yeah. place is awesome. And that I place is awesome. It's really small. And I think one of the uh, best parts is I didn't see the horn players in there. And then because they didn't, you guys didn't have horns in the first song. And the second song, the horns came in. I was like, that's one of the best sampled horns. What is that coming out of the keyboard? And then I just like shifted over behind my person I was like oh there's two horn players in the corner but uh, it's um you guys do that great thing where you sort of um, mix your whole set live yeah and uh, and so you guys like how long did it take for you to sort of put the live show together um, once you guys got back together after you know post Hercules uh, I don't know I mean we started practicing and really trying to just make the band a tighter tougher band um you know, kind of honor a little bit more the spirit of the way the things were recorded, which we didn't really do yet, <laughs> uh, or haven't really done yet. But I, th- I don't know. We started doing like the one continuous set thing, like 
I think it was like we just wanted only, to. Only like maybe six months ago. Yeah, only six months right? ago. Yeah, something like that. I'm looking at Morgan. And he's just not going to say anything. <laughs> he's just. I, I'm just oh, looking. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a. Uh, oh, there's a man at the window. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a very scary oh. man. He's um, thinking that our friends what's going dined on in. Here? He thought that our friends dined in Dash, and they're just they snuck in here too. Uh, oh really? Do it. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, the the live show is a, a work in progress, but we're we're finally there yet. I think ready to do tours and stuff like that. So uh, excited, and we're uh, you know well, the reason why we're having you on is we can talk about this after the break. Is that we're having punches is going to be playing with you guys tomorrow night. Oh yeah, at Union Hall, which is a free show. Which but you know let's let's play another song. We talk about the show tomorrow. Sure. And uh, yeah, what's... I like it to be known that we only play in really small spaces, <laughs> right? Like this space and Union, Union Hall. Hall. Um, yeah. So uh, what song is next? Same way I feel. Same way. It's a little, Ooh, same, slower. It's a little slower. Oh dear. Oh dear. You're listening to the quiet storm. <laughs> <laughs> Between uh, the sheets with Midnight Magic. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so this is Snacky Tunes. Uh, we got Midnight Magic coming up for the second of three songs. And uh, I don't know. Grab the one you love. Hold them tight. You are terrible at this. You're saying a year you've been doing this? Terribly awesome. Mm-hmm. Terribly awesome. Um, we're, uh, once again, uh, Midnight Magic.
Slow Jam. Slow Jam for the Mondays, huh? Yeah. Uh, you are listening to Snacky Tunes. That is Midnight Magic live. Uh, you can sit wherever you can sit wherever you like. Oh. Have a so uh, let's talk about a little bit about the name Midnight Magic. Where does it come from? What to represent? Please explain this because you, my friend, have a lot of problems with that. Yeah, we, we, we had come up with so many different names and they were all so stupid. Can you and give us an example of when, what, what didn't work? Like Midnight in the Stars, okay. which I actually still kind of like. We Reserve. came up with Reserve. Deep Out, which I was like, yeah, man, it's totally like psych. Okay. That didn't okay. work. <laughs> I'm not even going to talk about that one. No, pee-pee pipe. That's right, No, pee-pee pipe was not even... That was just a joke. Pink dolphin. Pink dolphin. That's not real. Well, now it's on the radio, so uh, I don't know. It's, we just made it... But we were Fidelia. We were another... We were, which is the password that Tom Cruise says in Eyes Wide Shut. And he, but he says it in this way. It's his delivery. He goes, Fidelia. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. It's amazing. Anyway, uh. so these guys came up with Midnight Magic, and I was like, no, absolutely not. That's ridiculous. It sounds like a batch of acid that you get. Go on. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. I'm with I was you. Like, no fucking way are we going to be called Midnight Magic. It's a joke. And then for like the first year of us performing live, I'd be like, we're Midnight Magic. <laughs> but now I'm kind of into it. Yeah, you can't make that joke. It's just going to stick. You're like, all right, well, we used to, and then you have to be formally Midnight Magic. Yeah. For whatever name is so. Right. I'm proud yeah. of it now. I really It's like a great it. name. Thank you. And it's Googleable. Which we have <laughs> yeah. which we have actually talked about on the show. Uh we call ourselves punches. Just try Googling punches. Never gonna find us. Never gonna find us. A lot of hockey fights. Yeah, so a lot of hockey, a lot of hockey that. fights. So uh we got a show with you guys tomorrow. Yes. Uh which we're pretty excited about. So are we. Um and what else do you guys have for live tours, album releases, websites, uh, things I like that? Because yep. <laughs> uh, I, I have a BlackBerry, so I, I get all those emails really quickly. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, we are going to do um, a bunch of stuff in New York coming up. Um, uh, in October 15th, we're doing this huge party in Williamsburg with Shock, which is going to be super fun. And then we're going out to the West Coast, hopefully in October or early November, to do a Rhonda party. Oh, <laughs> amazing. Yeah. I've been. It's those, those the best. Great. And yeah. then a, a gr- there's a great DJ, like luminary guy in LA named Ashlyn Mines, who's also going to feature us at this crazy after hour spot that he has now, uh, which I can't mention on the radio because it'll kill me probably. Highland Ballroom. It's, and then, oh yeah, Highland Ballroom. Thank you. Right, Highline Bar, oh, October 23rd, opening awesome. for Escort. Yeah. We're going to blow that disco band out the water. No, I'm and, kidding. I love those guys. And then I think uh, we asked you guys to play our EP release on the 12th of October. Ooh, that's another plug. We'll have to talk to Nick about. Uh, Cross promotion, yeah. Yes. Why not? And hopefully, he doesn't get too upset. No, I'm just I'm excited to see yeah. Escort really because you know we're kind of like this live big band dance band and they have a lot of members too and it'd yeah, be like they, a good basketball tournament. They'd be good. They haven't. Yeah. They've been sort of off the radar recently. Are they right? When's the last time they played? Uh, I I don't I don't know, but I know someone who saw them recently and said they were rich? really good. Oh yeah, yeah. so it's gonna be a good show. And those tickets are on sale now, right? I believe so. Oh man, it's gonna be awesome. Awesome. Uh, so also just for final details, uh, you can find. The free RCP for tomorrow night's show. If you just go to Punches BK on Twitter, and it's free. Just get there early because Union Hall is Union Hall. like double the size of this. So wait a second. Uh, in a Punches versus Midnight Madness, Bocce Man. Man. Who's winning? Um, bocce. Probably you guys. I don't even know. But well, I don't know how to play Bocce. I don't either. 
You have the bodies for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I Real have been uh, told that I'm a very strong Italian uh, physique mm-hmm. um, with great bocce oh, arms. Well, like, you know what? I've got some WAP in me. As oh. Well. So, well, I mean, we're just going to have to Well, I might have to WAP you on the court then. Oh. oh. And, and with that, uh, thank you for listening to Snacky Tunes. We are your host, Finger on the Pulse. We will be off next week uh, for the long weekend. Hopefully, we'll see no, you. We're getting out of here early today. I'm yeah, we're getting road, early. I'm today. getting on the road for the beach. So enjoy this short but packed show. Thank you to Anna Constance from LaFooding. Fairway, fantastic fare for low, low prices. Always delicious, always fresh. Thank you to Roberta's Jack and Z Rec Tech. Yeah, we got one more talk tonight. Yeah, we got one. This is our like closeout banter. <laughs> Do you cannot tell professionals this. This is the like, uh, Andrew's like, but you said we could have three. We're, uh, we're but, so good no, at closing no one, out the no show. You thought wants, we were closing out No one ever wants now? to hear the you guys scene. Are good. No one ever, he thought we were leaving. That's how good we are. He's like, but we tried this on here. And a big shout out to uh, Maggie Horn of Telephone, Sarah Hooper of Jelly NYC. Congratulations again on a great five years. And uh, you give me my medallion back. That's my ice cream cup. Yeah, that's my ice cream uh, So we're going to hear Beam Me Up, which we've been playing the remix of a, a million times and never played the original in here. So this will be like the original debut. Uh, oh, you're you're real good at radio. I'm great at radio. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll be back in a couple weeks. And, and once again, oh, yeah. thank you guys for having me. Uh, Magic NPR. If you're listening, yeah, we are yeah. available <laughs> for all birthday parties, car washes, yeah, and uh, tenth and fifteenth year anniversaries. Yeah. Uh, one uh one more time, Midnight Magic. Baby, don't be
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.